You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Did you know... Mike Myers was accused of stealing one of his characters in Austin Powers? Or that Gene Davis chose Brad Pitt over George Clooney in Thelma and Louise? Good choice for the abs. Or that Tom Cruise had a clause in his contract that he wouldn't go topless in Top Gun? He went topless, so we need to find out what the issue is here. If you're curious to hear more film facts then you should listen to the Unspooled podcast where you'll learn something fascinating that you thought you knew. Join comedian and professional movie talk about her, Paul Shear and New York Times writer Amy Nicholson as they unspool famous films to see if they are truly all-time classics or just remembered that way. New episodes of Unspooled every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the MCU, including some spoilers for Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 3, but they're light uh, in the Nerd Out section and in the MCU section of the mailbag. My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, it's going to be all mailbag. Mailbag, mailbag, mailbag. Yeah. You mailed us our questions. We are going to answer those questions in the mailbag segments, which will take <laughs> up almost the entire podcast, apart from a nerd out, which is going to be Evan pitching us a theory from Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Oh, I love it. I love to hear it. Coming up, mailbag. Folks, let's jump into the mailbag without any further delay. First, let's start here. Jordan asks, if the MCU were to reset, <laughs> no copyright issues, no corporate issues, no corporate trademarks, no weird ownership of IP stuff going on, what are the five comics slash heroes that we would start with to build the first phase? How would we do it? Whew. What a question. It's an incredible question. Do you want to start? It, it's such an exciting question. Now, I do have to say, I will put the classic disclaimer as someone who loves this stuff and is so excited that we get to talk about it every week. Logically, I would change nothing because the MCU does not exist right. if you don't start in that exact space. Now, if well, we're not talking about that, it would just be X-Men. And that, I think that that is how I would start any... If I had Jon Favreau with no issues, no Fox licensing deals, no almost bankrupt Marvel that had to be saved by Toy Biz and Aviarad... I think it would be a giant size X-Men style launch. I think that would be your big pull. You have Storm, you have Cyclops, you know, you have Charles, you have Jean, you can bring in Nightcrawler. I think that that, 
especially at the time, like in the 2008, it would have changed the trajectory of how we do this stuff. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it was not the way that it went. If I was going to try and replicate the MCU, but without Iron Man, I would probably do something like that, but with weirder characters, like New mm-hmm. Mutants or X-Force or, you know, have like a chamber movie. Oh, okay. You know, I love yeah. chamber. <laughs> yeah. But definitely for me, it would it always goes back to those mutants. And I think it would be a very interesting alt-universe if Marvel Studios I- had been able to launch post-Blade with... The X-Men. I agree with what you said in that, logically, reasonably, the rollout for phase one was so perfect, you can't, it'd be silly to change anything, logically. Uh, And so I would just pitch a haircut. I (laughs) also, of course, like I love the mutants as well. And so I would, I might start with a Wolverine story I mean, mm-hmm. this is sounding now perilously close to X Men Origins. <laughs> but I would start. But I would start like in the '60s, right? I would start like in the '60s or '70s, like Vietnam era Wolverine, yeah, um, or you know, somewhere like a Wolverine brainwashed. It'd basically be the Weapon X story that would get us into the Super Soldier story, and mm. then you could just launch Captain America from there, um, yeah, as. Uh, as a project that was related to and part of the Weapon X uh, project, which is just really a much, much more underground version of the super soldier story. So I would like tie those things together. And then from there, phase one would proceed like on a binary track, on a binary parallel track, Mm. right? So you'd go from Captain America right, to Iron Man. This is, even though I'm kind of reversing stuff, right? So you go from Captain America to Iron Man, and then you'd go from Wolverine to, like, giant size X-Men. So you'd do, like, Avengers and X-Men happening at the same time, but, like, in different little pockets where the Mm -hmm. X-Men are doing stuff much more underground because they don't want anybody to know they exist, whereas the Avengers are emerging at the same time. You know, they they have the big, they they would still have the big uh, Battle of New York and all these other things. It would announce their existence to the world. And it would be that existence that would basically shake up the mutant Mm. line of my uh, proposed MCU where you'd have all these other mutants saying, well, why are we hiding if these people can be out? Like, why, why can't we just... And so that they would do that and that would bring them into conflict with... Uh, the Avengers, and then t- they ultimately get together to fight off Thanos or whatever big bad. Yeah, I was going to say, in that version, is your uh, Avengers movie or is your later on like a Civil War before you get to Endgame, is that your Avengers versus X-Men movie in that world? No, I would do it later because I think the way, if I was going to do it this way, right, um, uh, then all the mutants are together originally, like Magneto, everybody, no brotherhood of evil mutants. There are maybe more extremist mutants and there are more uh, peace Nick mutants, you know, (laughs) but everybody agrees that it's for the best that they keep quiet. And then when the human uh, superheroes emerge, you have the more extremist uh, voices being like, well, why are we, we should just come out like this is Mm -hmm. insane that we're hiding. And then that would cause the split that would create 
you know, Mystique and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants or Magneto going off and deciding that he's going to become a domestic terrorist or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and it because they're reacting to the emergence of the human superheroes who everybody fucking loves. Uh, and they're saying, well, why can't why can't we have a life as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you'd have those things converge. I think you'd have uh, I think you probably do Avengers versus X-Men like phase two. And yeah. then phase three would be your big, okay, we need to all join together to beat whatever the fucking thing is. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you make a really great point, too, because the reality is even then in the mid zeros to late zeros, Wolverine is still one of the most famous characters in the world. Not only thanks to the comics and the animated series, but thanks to Hugh Jackman. So really, that would be a very good place to start. And I would love to see that. I mean, hilariously... Marvel, don't steal this. The WGA is on strike. Your idea is definitely (laughs) something that I think we could actually see come to life even now. You know, that idea of like the reality of human heroes being in the world for like 20 years has caused that conflict within like underground mutant sex, like the Morlocks, even if they didn't want to go full, you know, gifted youngsters school kind of route immediately. So, yeah, I, I love that. And you know how, like, uh, there was the, you know, Team X before mm-hmm. Wolverine pre-X-Men when he was on a team with Sabretooth and others, right? You could do that with Bucky and just have, like, mm. all the brainwashed, like, superheroes in the 70s and 80s. They're doing secret government shit. Um, you could kind of retcon it so that Bucky is part of that. Uh, you could introduce, I mean, you can even make Steve a part of that if you really yeah. wanted to. Um, yeah, more of a nomad style. Like, he's yeah, not nomad cat, style. but he's... I mean, what if you did it this way? What if 616, if we're calling this MCU, exists, right? We yeah. relaunch, but it's a parallel universe. And it's the one, you know, it's like the one Steve escaped into. So there's like mm-hmm. an old Steve running around. And oh, then there's now that's like a, really cool. A mean Steve. Yeah, I mean, I, Marvel, call us after the yeah, strike give, is over. After, call us when the strike's over. We'll, we'll pitch you some ideas. We got some plans. Yeah, yeah. Matt asks, how do you think all these Marvel shows will be combined into a singular movie? I will add mm. parentheses or project when they're stylized so differently. Will She-Hulk drop the fourth wall when she's in a team-up film, even though that's so unique to her? Miss Marvel was a very different vibe than Falcon and Winter Soldier stylistically. So how do we think those things are going to kind of come together? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think, honestly, very organically. These Mm -hmm. are issues that pop up in the comics as well. The the comics have been dealing with um, for decades this this entire time. You know, She-Hulk is breaking the fourth wall in the 80s. And when she shows up on Avengers teams or Fantastic Four teams, it's the same personality, the same character, but you fit the character inside the frame of what the particular mm-hmm. title is. So depending, you know, if it's a She-Hulk in an Avengers movie, um, then you would fit it to the sensibility of of an Avengers movie, depending on what the director's taken as, take on it as well. I actually think it's not that, it's honestly not that big a deal. Yeah, I agree. I think if you look back to the comics and remember what we all love so much about the comics, and I will say what really kept people engrossed in the MCU was when it branched out of the kind of Ultimates-inspired originality of the, you know, the first phase and instead 
you know, why is Winter Soldier one of people's favorite movies? Because it felt like it was bringing a new tone to the MCU. It was this spy espionage style genre. So I think that it will be a delicate balance. But I would love, I think you could have She-Hulk, especially the version that they did in the show, which I thought was so great. I could see a pretty serious Daredevil show, for example, where she turns up yeah, and they still manage to build that in. In an Avengers movie, she also gives you a great narrative tool. She could be your in-character. She could be your narrator almost. And you could have a really fun time making the audience complicit and more involved in the story than they've been before, even when stuff's getting wild. And I, I bet you think, they do a joke. I, I, yeah. I would almost guarantee they do a fourth wall joke in whatever Avengers movie emerges. From, oh, definitely. Features She-Hulk. Like you'll have a moment where she's <laughs> talking to the fourth wall, but maybe not to camera and Spider-Man or somebody is like, who the fuck are you talking to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll do a flea bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's be like real. Flea bag. Yeah. I definitely think as well, like one of the things that I could see is the amount of times that those tones are used. Like, mm-hmm. so I think that in quite a serious Avengers, like Secret Wars style movie, she probably won't be cracking wise the whole time. And she won't look at you when an alien does something wild. But if there's a shawarma-esque kind of in-joke that they know the audience is going to look to, you could get a gym office style look to camera. I think it's all about those kind of stylistic choices. But yeah, I think it's going to happen because really that interconnectivity is what has always made people really care about the MCU. Yeah. So I think that even though the vibes are different, I mean, if we look at Miss Marvel, especially in the comics, one of the things that was so great when she was first introduced, she was obsessed with these really rugged heroes like Wolverine. So that kind of fun of seeing that joyous, joyful fan energy from Kamala, who's also incredibly powerful, buck, buck up against, you know, meeting someone like, I would love to see her meet Bucky or something. But, you know, Mm -hmm. even someone like Falcon, who is now, you know, Captain America, Sam Wilson. I think that that's actually going to bring a lot of joy and kind of enjoyment to the MCU. Those juxtapositions are going to be an additive rather than a challenge, I reckon. I think that's right. Jack asks, after seeing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, have either of your opinions about the MC model shifted? Are you looking for more self-contained stories, whether it be standalone stuff like a movie, trilogy, or special? Or does the interconnectivity still create the world we know? Uh, I'm curious how you feel as the scope of the MCU gets wider. Yeah, I think it gets more, obviously it gets more unwieldy as it gets Mm -hmm. wider. I also think think a lot of the feel of kind of less focus— Mm-hmm. to the post-endgame phases is simply a lack of a focusing villain. You know, like you had Thanos pretty much from jump driving things forward post of, you know, like certainly post-Avengers, everybody understood that was what where we were going. Whereas, you know, there's significant confusion about, mm-hmm. like, especially post-issues uh, with Jonathan Majors, what the kind of focal villain is going to be um in terms of for me like the i think it's just it, well it's interesting you know because we say as we've been saying so much of this stuff parallels stuff that happens in the comics mm-hmm. guardians mm-hmm. has always benefited and cosmic marvel in general has always benefited from the remove from the connectivity yes. to the to the main storyline of the of the 
of Marvel Comics. Like, you can just do more. And I think I would argue that, like, you know, some of the weakest cosmic Marvel is the stuff that intersects with, Mm -hmm. like, Earthbound heroes. Like, when they're just out there on their own, Annihilation, War of Kings, that kind of stuff. And they can just blow up entire galaxies, you know? <laughs> then it, that's the best stuff. And I think part of part of what made Guardians so good, or at least so easy to position as a real, like, contained story, mm-hmm. is that it's in space. It's removed yeah. from the rest of the stuff that's going on. You're not worrying about, like, hey, where are the Avengers? What happened mm-hmm. with them? What's going on with the blip? Uh, you know, my bakery got evicted because of the blip, <laughs> and now somebody else moves it. You don't have to do all that kind of stuff. You mm-hmm. can just do the story. Um, that said, I don't. Th- I I think the interconnectivity is kind of, is is necessary. Now, maybe you can, maybe you can not tie it as tightly to things mm-hmm. that are going on. Maybe that's a way to go. Is not like be beholden to all these tie-ins and callbacks while still acknowledging that it's part of a shared universe. But I think the interconnectivity is vital. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're right, basically. And I think you you summed up something I think is really interesting. I think part of the reason why this Guardians movie is hitting so well, you know, a cinema score, even if the box office wasn't crazy, we'll see what that hold was. I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 feels very akin to the early MCU in that fact that it feels quite separate, but mm-hmm. there are nods to things that have existed in Easter egg form, not in big exposition dumps or this is how this all works, but in here's a little thing you've seen before. Oh, here's a character, you know. That's very appealing. That's what made people love these movies. I personally am always excited for things that can exist in that world, but also stand alone. I think that, you know, the Werewolf by Night Halloween special was just so brilliant. That was so great. I'm really excited to see them do stuff like that. I also think it's one of the few strengths that you can objectively say that the DCU has, which is the way that they've let directors just make weird movies. That's how we got Batman. That's how we got Aquaman. That's how we got, uh, you know, Kathy Ann's incredible Harlequin and Birds of Prey movie. I think that there's a lot of fun and freedom that can be had from going with big swing weird ideas. Especially when this franchise has like 30 movies at this point and millions of TV shows and blah, 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 blah. It's always going to get unwieldy. But I think the interconnectivity always has to be there. And I think in a sense of getting people really excited, that's probably going to have to come a little bit more to the forefront than it has been, even if it kind of, as comic book fans, we're more used to the weird explosion of stories that you get before you draw it back in for that slimmed down, you know, multiversal battle. And I think, like, as a general principle, the stakes need to be in the movie. Like, the Mm -hmm. thing that makes Guardians 3 so good is you're worried who's going to die. You are absolutely distraught over the horrible things that have happened to this beloved character, Rocket. Mm -hmm. But the stakes are in the movie. You want the high evolutionary to Hey, you like yep. you just want it with some of the phase four and phase five, which I love because I'm I'm a sucker for it. But mm-hmm. one of the things you could say is the stakes come from outside the movie. Yes. It's stakes that carry over from another project or it's That's... built in from something else. And it's not 
native to mm-hmm. the story itself, self-contained that, in the story, and, and it dilutes the power. That's a definite challenge that I think that the interconnectivity element brings yeah. because people have to be extremely invested, like Infinity War Endgame style invested, to want to know all those different things, to feel like it's an event. My friend William did a great interview with James Gunn at Esquire, and you basically incredibly smart cultural critic that you are you summed up how james gets people to care about these things he said it's always about like it's not about the end of the world it's about like saving the dog you know that was his experience and in this movie it's about rocket it's about that journey and you do these little things that make people invested in the journey that you are on in that movie that is i think think about tony stark Think about Iron Man. It's about that movie. And then the tease of what else could come is so exciting. But I will say, even as someone who, as you know, love, I love a lot of phase four stuff and phase five. I'm very chill with it. I love to see these movies. I love to know that they're based on these comics I love. But I do think it could easily be argued that the tease has become the primary part of a lot of those stories rather than that stake that keeps you in, in the center of the story before wondering what comes next. And and about the stakes, I also think that more characters should die. Not I, maybe I not, will say I agree. Maybe this is not a Marvel die. problem. Yeah, maybe not die because of course, like uh, you know, one of the spoiler, 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 Guardians Three spoiler. One of the surprises of Guardians Three is but he died. That we was actually expect- very good subversion of yeah, what we were now, expecting. Uh, this is, of course, like you know, R.I.P. to Floor and Lila and Oh Keith. yes, no established um, characters before this movie that right. we were expecting Their to die. Hit fucking hard. That yeah. said, for characters that you had in flashback, <laughs> like that was those deaths hit. But there was turn. It's almost like a death in mm-hmm. the sense that people left the team. People were like, "This part of my." There was an ending. Life is over, and and you and you we, you have to leave this wonderful group of friends behind, essentially, because people are leave people have left. That feels mm-hmm. like part of life, and I feel like, you know, whether it's you know you pick any story that that we've had in these phases, I think that it, if it's not death, there needs to be like irrevocable rupturing of mm-hmm. relationships that happen because of these stories. I guess you could say in Shang-Chi it kind of happens, right? Even though, like, it's only secretly that, like, mm-hmm. Shang's uh, sister becomes, like, the head of of organized crime. I right? want to see that happen, by the way. That but, was, like, one of my favorite post-credit scenes. But to, I, I really enjoyed it as well. But, like, to I, the more... And, and this is because I've rewatched the movie and I've been thinking mm-hmm. about it. But, like, imagine how much to me i feel like wouldn't that hit harder emotionally if he knew that she did yes exactly i totally agree with you and i think you are really summing up one of the bigger issues that post endgame mcu has had and obviously as we say many like this is all coming with love we're always in there on the first day watching it yeah so it's like we we're not out like this is not so much of saying that this is a failing but i do think it's something that's very interesting post endgame we all thought that was going to be the end of that generation of heroes. But that decisive, irrevocable thing 
never really happened. Yeah. And those heroes have kind of stuck around in these different ways, whether due to COVID, like Black Widow coming out late, or Hawkeye being in the Kate Bishop show because they wanted to do the incredible, you know, comic book version that we'd gotten from Matt Fraction and David Ahar. But it's very interesting that 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 guillotine of stakes and a true ending, it never really came down. And I think that has kind of left this feeling more of a transitional phase than people expected. Because you leave the stories at the end of them with the characters more or less in the place Mm -hmm. that you met them at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the story. You know, uh, uh, Wakanda Forever, as an example, a movie I actually quite enjoyed. Yeah. I, I think there's a world in which you... How many people died in the attack on Wakanda? Like, Mm -hmm. you you would have militant voices really voicing their displeasure with the way the country is run. Mm -hmm. And so what if you left that story with that feeling of, you know, whatever else has happened here, you know, we lost T'Challa, of course, but we also lost a lot of citizens of this nation and nothing will ever Mm -hmm. be the same. Like, I want to leave each movie with, and nothing will be the same. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, and I think that feeling has maybe not been as strong as those feelings in phases one, two, three, where you left mm-hmm. each movie going, oh, fuck, like Tony and Steve really hate each other now. Oh, fuck. Yeah, like, like Steve you know, literally like, beat up Tony because his best friend killed his parents. Yeah. And he just like beat the shit out of him on a concrete floor. That still blows my mind when I think about that sequence. Like, I totally agree with you. Oh, I will say... I did feel like I felt like Eternals offered that go. up. <laughs> I'm sorry, just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying those are fucking celestials. No, like things will never be the same. But yeah. like, but again, I understand that as much as I enjoyed that movie, it didn't leave general audiences with the scope and scale of what that change was. And that in itself right. means that it wasn't as effective, even if I loved it and felt like things had changed. And that, to me, stands as a great example of letting somebody do something in a completely separate space that can be connected but doesn't have to be connected. But I, I totally agree with you. I think that that is something that any studio would struggle with when you're 30 movies in, you know, with yes. multiple TV shows, etc. So, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. But I think basically... The interconnectivity will always be there. I would love to see more kind of standalone-ish stories. And I'd love to see them learn some stakes lessons from James Gunn, because I think you're right. He knows how to tell those intimate stories, even on this hugely cosmic scale. But who knows? I mean, this is a wild, this is going to be a wild time for the MCU for the next couple of years. I mean, the Fantastic Four are meant to be coming into the MCU next year. I mean, Which I, just feels like it would change oh, everything. <laughs> I mean, it's really crazy stuff. I mean, I look forward to a world in which the MCU and DC are going movie for movie and mm. forcing each other to raise their level. That's what it is in the comic space, and yep. I'm hoping we get there in the movie space. Up next, more mailbag. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. We're back in the X-Ray Vision crypt with more mailbag questions. And now we're moving on to the Galaxy far, far away. I love the galaxy far, far away. I love that galaxy. I'd go there, even if it's far, far away. Okay, so Hayden asks, right? This is a really good question. This This is is a a tough one. Question. I've been thinking about this one. I've been getting it ready. Rank your top five Star Wars projects since the Disney acquisition: films, series, games, comics, shorts, etc. It can be any of those. What What's your fave? Okay, I'm gonna go. Uh, the Disney acquisition was 2012, correct? Um, Rebels. Oh. Rogue One. Uh, Andor. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars on Marvel Comics, Jason Aaron, and then like mm. Kieran Gillen, the Darth Vader run. In oh general. man, that run is Sewell, so fucking good. Yeah, the uh, the the whole thing, Sewell, Gillen, Pock. Now it goes. It's interesting because Gillen's happens chronologically after Sewell's, yes, despite there coming are time out jumps. first, right? But that is, it just fleshes out the characters so well, and it, it's some of the best times I've had with Star Wars. So those are my answers. What are you? Oh, that's that's really good. I am going to say I I am a sequel trilogy stan. Okay. I'm gonna I'm putting Force Awakens at five. I love Ooh. Force Awakens. Like I, I think I, it's I had a great delightful. Time. I I it was one of my best cinema experiences. I saw it at midnight in the cinema where I used to run a a cocktail bar, and um. It was just like the wildest screening, like the exact kind of screening you want where everyone, when when they pull off the sheet and it's the Falcon, like everybody screams. I, I love that. So I'll start with that. For, you know, what? that Darth Vader comic is really there for me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on that one. That was on my list, especially because it was one of the few comics where when I was reading it just every week, that I got the issue I wanted to talk yeah. to someone about what was going on it's great and obviously like Dr. Afra, like getting to meet oh, these yeah. incredible new characters like the evil R2-D2 and C-3PO who I loved <laughs> I'm gonna go Andor at three because I think you're right I think it's like a masterpiece and then for me this is kind of a cheat apologies but I'm gonna go for okay. it I, I think the High Republic line Oh, is good. like okay. a high point. Hell yeah. So the especially the new stuff, I have a wonderful friend, Ren, and they really encourage me to get back into it with this kind of like second phase. 
And they're those books are just absolutely, they blow me away every time. If you're a fan of Charles Saul, he was a big part of establishing all of this. There's great comic books. There's incredible middle grade comics. I know we have a lot of people who have kids who love this kind of stuff. But the the core books, like at the moment I'm reading, it's Path of Deceit. And then the newest one is Cataclysm. And they are just like, out there sci-fi storytelling that happens to be in this Star Wars world. So I just cannot, I cannot uh, hype it enough. And then coming in, controversial as always, number one for me, Last Jedi. Banger, unbelievable. It's there. I, I would never take it back. I think that movie's amazing. <laughs> Come on, I it's so a, good. I love like, The Last Jedi. I love it. It's so good. Honestly, you know, hate to hate to give props to an evil corporation, but like, it has not been the dire situation that I think many fans worried about since Disney took over Lucasfilm, you know, in that merger. I feel like there's actually been, it's hard to pick five things mm-hmm. because there's actually been an incredible amount of brilliant, creative yes, ingenuity in those lot. spaces. We didn't and even talk about like even- visions or... You know all these other different fun things. Or the books. Uh, yeah, you know, we've, there's a lot of stuff we didn't we didn't talk about. I mean, we can talk about the video games. Um, I also believe that the on balance, the Disney acquisition has been this era has been good, creatively it's been a great era fruitful. For Star Wars. It's been a great era for Star Wars. Period. Yeah. Russell asks, of all the characters in Star Wars, who would you be most and least concerned about if they happen upon the one ring on the side of the road. For me, Chopper getting his hands on the one ring. I'm saying he picked the For the galaxy very, very quickly. What do you think? Now, let me ask you this, because I've been thinking about it. Can a droid wield the ring? I Can a droid wield the ring? I don't know. Could Chopper find a way to wield the ring? Yes. I think Chopper is be. the galaxy's most powerful mass murderer. I suppose, <laughs> I suppose it wonders... Is it just about sentience? Because in that case, I would say most of the droids have enough sentience that they could be impacted. But is it also about having a soul or something? Is it also about about like metal on flesh? You know what I mean? Mm. Or like, because do you have to have an organic body to do this? I don't think Sauron... Like, honestly, it'd be a mind blower for Sauron if you ever brought a droid to him. You're like, hey, check this out. He'd be like, holy shit. And then he'd what? be making. Well, I think the biggest worry is that in this hypothetical scenario, he would essentially create a one ring that was chopper. You know, a shiny gold chopper that anytime it goes near people ha- wields the power of the ring because they can <laughs> forge this incredible metal. So surely they would be horribly inspired. I just think it took, it was such a, it took so much effort to make the ring and it's so fucking small. I don't know that he could make a chopper level <laughs> droid out of like, that was one ring material. I think it would just take, it would, just it would take too long, too big of a project for him. So, uh, so other than chopper, do you have a least worried about? Least worried about to me would just be like any Ewok. I think they're relatively chill. <laughs> Wicket, let's say. Look, uh, they're, they're eating folks down there. They, they're I will boiling say, them. I will say, if they're we're talking about 
powerful people in the galaxy, yeah? <laughs> Look at the route Return of the Jedi went. The Ewoks, they are powerful. They can defeat things. But I would say generally, I don't feel like they're particularly like greedy or jealous. I don't know if they have that within them. I think they just kind of want to chill in the forest. So I would probably be least concerned about an Ewok, most concerned, I mean, really just any of them. There's so many. I wouldn't give it to a Jedi. I wouldn't give it to a Sith. I wouldn't. I feel like the One Ring is essentially going to amplify any kind of dark side tendencies that you have. So it's a it's a it's a lose lose game actually. I I'm just like imagining a Ewok putting the <laughs> ring on, and then you know, like Galadriel, this explosion. Like, <laughs> But and and a really like powerful and dreadful voice going, Yubnob And then the musical sequence. Yeah, that just hits with these really pounding drums. I go the other way. I actually think that if Palpatine had the ring, Whoa. it would be really I would it would be fascinating because I think it would be a, I think it would be I think they would I think it would be Sauron versus Palpatine because of the I think Palpatine is not going to be able to let go of the of Sith philosophy of the mm. rule of two. Right. He's going to the way he's going to perceive it is here is this ring of power. It is linked inextricably to this immensely powerful being. I need to sever it from him. I like it. So you're it. like, you would use Palpatine's Sith philosophies to destroy Sauron. They, I, well, I don't know who would win, oh. but I just know they would come in. I think it would bring them into conflict. Same I like thing with Darth. Like, I think you're like, who? I think if they, I, yeah, I think if he, I think if Palpatine discovered the ring, it would bring him in, like irrevocably into con, into conflict with, with Sauron. And I think if Darth found the ring, it would also kind of be the same thing because mm. uh, I think Palpatine would perceive this as like someone's trying to steal my acolyte, like this other mm. person is trying to steal my acolyte. Um, and I think that, too, would bring Palpatine and Sauron into conflict. So I think, weirdly, it it would... I kind of would want to see what would happen. <laughs> you're like, you're like, which one would I watch on a pay per view? Fuck the fate of the see, galaxy. I, like, <laughs> I want to see what happens if Palpatine finds the ring because I'll, I'll tell you, he's not going to. He will not. He would not simply accept that he has this immensely powerful weapon that mm. is linked to this immensely powerful being that is also affecting his mind and his thoughts and is trying to seduce him like he would not want he would not want that he'd want the mm. weapon without any entanglements and sauron meanwhile would be like no like you i'm going to make you you know my greatest fucking nazgul you know like that's the <laughs> thing, that's the thing about sauron is he's so laser focused on you know why is there the eye of sauron i love that metaphor because he can only look at one thing at one time. Like he's only mm -hmm. ever thinking about one thing. So if he's ever, if he comes in a com conflict with Palpatine, it's just going to be that. Like you would argue that Middle Earth would probably benefit from Sauron's laser focus being yeah. on something other than conquering Middle Earth. Yeah.
And who would I be? And then, like, like I would be actually really worried about an Ewok getting it. <laughs> I would. But you I, were trying I, to give I, it to Palpatine. But you know what? I don't, I don't disagree. Ewoks, they're chaotic, but I love them. I, I, I don't, I, I think, like, a, anyone from a more, like, from a less worldly culture, I, I don't know. I think Ewoks can be power mad too. I'm very worried about. I, I would worry about it personally. I would worry about it. I'd worry about almost anybody. Yeah, I would worry about anyone too. I just I'm trying to think if there's anyone who I feel like's vaguely neutral. I feel like Chewbacca is like one of the chillest people. That would be fun. Although I, he I has would, a, what would, I would he be do? interested. That's why I'm wondering. I'm like, thing. like, what would they do with it? Yeah, like, what would Chewie do with it? Maybe he'd just chill and wouldn't do anything. I think that's kind of your just dream scenario. He'd win at space chess. Yeah. Oh my god, that's it. That's all he wants. <laughs> that's all he wants to do is like constantly win at space chess. <laughs> he's like betting the most like minimal credits, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's doing really well." Yeah. As soon as he starts to lose, he puts the ring on. <laughs> Little hollow Nazgul's, like yeah. <laughs> Corey asks. I feel like this is the kind of question we all dream about. If you could see slash read, I like this definition there because some of them obviously you can't really be touching them up. But if you could see or read an original copy of any comic book oh, ever, man. what would it be? I, I can't pick just one. I'd want to. I, I obviously I've seen the digital and trade versions, the reprint versions of, uh, you know, all the classic comics that I'm interested mm-hmm. in. But I, I would love to hold, like, I would, I mean, I'd love to hold a giant size X-Men number one. and like, How crazy is that? And read it. Th- like, that's I'd, one I'd, of them now, right? Because that's definitely yeah. up there for me. But that doesn't feel like it's Five one of those oldest ones. Five a highly graded oh, giant size X-Men number definitely. one. Definitely. Like grand plus. Yeah, um, I, I've i been lucky enough. I went to the DC archives, so I have seen some very old comics. But I would I would love to, if we're talking about hypothetical dream world, I mean, obviously I want to flip through like an action comics number one just so you can say... That would be cool. That you that did it, so right? Cool. Right? That would like be cool. Right? Like Detective Comics 27. Like yeah, those, that the would be big, so cool. The big, the big, big, big boys. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. Do you own any of your like favorite key oh, issue yeah. kind of? I've, I've picks? talked about this before. I have, I have my first comic that I ever bought with my own money, X Men Two Twelve. It's part of the Mutant Massacre. Oh yeah, uh, Wolverine vs Sabretooth Round One. It says on the on the cover. I have the follow up issue Two Thirteen, um, which is the actual. You know the. 212 like teases the fight with Sabretooth mm-hmm. and Wolverine, but it doesn't really happen. And then yeah. 213, they go fucking all out, all over the <laughs> mansion. Uh, and it's so cool. Um, I have uh, I have um, X-Men 141. Uh, oh, yeah. Days of Future Past, the fucking That's classic. That's the good stuff. I, I love that. I have the, yeah, I've, I've got that. I've got uh, one of my other favorites, you know, Jean Grey on the cover with with like cyclops you know those uncanny oh, issues yeah. are like the best the one one of my favorites that i own which is not even really that expensive but i always wanted is the the cyclops storm fight issue when oh, i'm on yeah, the cover that's a fucking great one. i love that one for me the the biggest white whale that i ever got 
was love. I have Love and Rockets number one, the the magazine size Fantagraphics one. I got that years ago for like no money in Brighton. But before that, the Hernandez Bros, they released like a zine version yeah. that was like a self-published yeah. comic. And I managed, I'd always wanted one, and I managed to buy one off Gilbert at San Diego, I think, because he'd found, him and his wife Carol had found like a box of them in their garage. Oh, and it was so like, cool. and, and so that is like the one that, that one made it pretty much any other comic. I, I would like to have it, but that was the, that was the one where I was like, if I want a piece of comics history, it's that. But I mean, I would like invite X-Ray Vision to any of those archives. We would love to see and enjoy any old comic because it's just magic. I would also love to hold, even though I've read it and it's not that great, the early Avengers run, the early Marvels run, it, you know, any, whether it's X-Men or Avengers, stuff yeah. is a little lumpy and it's weird. That said, uh, what is it? Avengers four or five? Captain America lives again. Oh, Captain, yeah, after yeah, they yeah. fought him out uh, and he joined the Avengers and it's, uh, so it's uh, um, Captain America, Iron Man with the horned helmet. Uh, oh, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, um, Hank Pym as mm-hmm. Giant Man and the Wasp uh, and also Submariners in the issue. That was a fun one. Yeah. Um, I would love to leaf through that. I would love to see. I think you're Spider-Man right. Like, there's one. something so magical. Yeah, obviously, Amazing Fantasy 15. Yeah. Like, who doesn't want that? I would love that the Galactus trilogy, you Ooh. know, uh, the old Fantastic Four stuff from 66, which was like f- issues 48 to 50. Very good place to start with any Fantastic Four stuff. But those issues, I love them so much. Like if I was going to, if I got rich and I wanted to buy something that Kirby had worked on and, and that was my like white whale and I would actually bother to buy like a good graded issue that I would immediately break out of the CGC box because I do not agree with grading on a moral level. But I I would, those are the ones that I'd like drop the big money on. They're so fucking good. Um, Next. Cameron asks, this is an, uh, a, a, I think an important and interesting. I love this question. question. What do you do with your comics after reading them? Some I want to reread in the future, but I can't keep them all. Any suggestions? Yeah, I, I do this very irregularly, but I will call down, like, I'll be like, mm-hmm. okay, here's the runs that I really love. Here's the ones that I'm less that I care less about, and I'll just give them away. Yeah. Do I have friends that have kids? Do, mm-hmm. do, do I give them to my nephew? I could donate them to the library. Yep. There's yep. a million things. You give them to the, your comic shop, and they'll just resell them. Like, there's a million things you could do with them, but uh, but it basically, for me, comes down to I just give them away. Yeah. I think that is... Honestly, one of the greatest joys as a comic book fan. Look, you can sell in your comics, your back issues, even if you have ones that are worth like five or 10 cents, probably. Most shops will do you a good deal if you take them a box because you're giving them stock that they can sell, back issue stock. But yeah, I, I read a lot of comics. I keep a lot of comics. I am no longer a completionist like if i love a contemporary run of comics i am far less likely to buy every single issue unless like the art is really beautiful and i really want them in that format i buy a lot of old comics uh weird dollar bin comics old reprints of manga Mm -hmm. stuff like that that's what brings me a lot of joy and that ends up with lots of culling for example i bought 
a really huge collection of power pack from my local comic <laughs> shop because I, I it's just a weird thing it was like team created by a woman and and their kids comics but those will be ones where i'm probably going to take Man, them to the library power pack power pack got into some they got into legitimately some legitimate wild wild, wild stuff that the characters that are in these issues like it's like issue like three to 25 or something there are some wild characters. There's a bunch of great teams like Louise Simonson, who I love, mm-hmm. who who created them with June Brigman. There's a bunch of great Wheezy issues. But that's something where I'll probably select like five of the 20 that I bought to keep after I've read them all a few times. And then, yeah, libraries are great. Charity shops, like uh, yeah. thrift stores, because they always sell really well in there and they they kind of can make some good money for the you know the whatever cause they're supporting but yeah giving them away is great i don't know how these are in other places where it's not always as hot but la area has a lot of little free libraries where people just put up libraries outside their house and or a a restaurant or whatever and you can put comics in there so i do that quite a lot yeah i think giving them away is just like a, a really great joy and if you need a little bit of extra cash you can sell in your comics in a kind of job lot to your local comic book store and you'll be helping them and and they'll usually give you a great deal. X-Ray Vision will be back. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Michael asks, I've been reading Marvel Comics for years, but I've never been able to break into the Fantastic Four side of things. It always felt so dense. I never knew where to start. Do you have any suggestions on where to start or how to break into that area of Marvel? Rosie? So I did just reference a very good place to start, which is easy to collect. There is many collections of it. You can get trades. You can read it on Marvel Unlimited. That is the Galactus Trilogy which is the three issues that introduce kind of that cosmic aspect of the Fantastic Four, which was in Fantastic Four, the early days, I believe that the issues were, I literally just said them, but of course now I don't remember. Yes, 48 to 50. And you're not going to find those issues in a back issue bin because they're worth thousands and thousands of dollars, but there are many collections. I will also say go for a trade of any comic is a great place to start. There are so many good Fantastic Four stories and a lot of times Marvel will do an omnibus. If you like the art, just pick it up. You're never going to... I should not say that. Many people do this and I have so much respect for them. It is unlikely that you're ever going to read any comic arc at this point of a character from the first ever issue that came out now 80 years ago yeah. to now. That's not the way that comics 
luckily for all of us have been made. There are many different great stories. Other really incredible stories that, you know, you can check into is there is a... Stanley and Jack Kirby did over 100 issues consecutive on the Fantastic Four, so any of that stuff is good. One of the stories that people really love, I love the Galactus trilogy, but one of the stories people really love is This Man, This Monster. This Man, This Monster. Which is really a, a, about, you know, Ben Grimm and The Thing, and you have so many icons there, this, Joe Sinner and Artie Simak. It such really a great set story. the stage for Ben Grimm as a tragic character. Mm-hmm. That it's that early Marvel-grounded yeah. stuff that really gets people excited. Another one that I really like is, I really like anything Walt Simonson did. Um, but yeah, he after, literally didn't do a he's bad thing in Marvel never. particularly. Him and, never. Him and Wheezy yeah. are like one of my, they're my all-time favorite, some of my all-time favorite comic creators. He did one called Into the Time Stream, which was part after Avengers. Ooh. He ended up moving to Fantastic Forum and, because he'd never gotten to put Reed and Sue on the Avengers like he wanted to. And there's a lot of Kang. I think the TVA in that storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big ultimate nullifier, Kang the yeah. Conqueror, the TVA. And it's just, Walt is like brilliant. He's a great cartoonist. He's a great writer. So I think that's really fun. I, I'm i not the hugest Ultimates fan in general, in hindsight, as I find it all a bit dark. But I do know a lot of people love Ultimate Fantastic Four. It's good if... I'll say this. It's good if you want a very definite starting point. Mm. That said, it's like uh, Reed Richards is evil. There's no other way to put it. He's, yeah, he's kind of evil. Um, and so that will color your may color your yeah. your perception of the character. Oh, there's also like a weird Grant Morrison, Jay Lee, Fantastic Four book, one, two, three, four. It's very invisible-y, very meta-y. So I just think the good thing is with these characters that have been around for like 85 years, you know, like a really long time at this point, there's going to be something for everyone. But I do think Fantastic Four is one of the few Marvel heroes where I really do think you can find something to love in the earliest stuff. Like you were saying... Before yeah. Jason, like a lot of that stuff can be kind of clunky or like very racist, more so in DC. But like uh-huh. the early Fantastic Four stuff, that there really is interesting, cool, weird, incredible sci-fi shit there because that is what Jack Kirby was best at. So you can really get some very special stories there. And the joy of comics, a lot of them are just two or three issues long. So if you have a Marvel Unlimited account, you can even just search those titles, the Galactus trilogy, stuff like that. And it should re- recommend you those issues. Um, I agree with everything you said. I would add, if you're looking for contemporary mm. entry points, you know, Mark Wade's run and then I would start there because that takes you into Jonathan Hickman's run, but you could just start with with Mark Wade's run, which I think is like early two thousands to, to uh, mid two thousands, uh, and is a good entry point with all the kind of weird stuff, weird galactic stuff, family drama that happens mm-hmm. within the the kids, the Fantastic Four, the kids, um, and then if you want something that's kind of like adjacent. But not the Fantastic Four is uh, FF uh, yeah. by M- Matt Fraction and, and Mike and the wonderful Mike Allred. Um, oh, Mike Allred is so zini, great. Zini illustration style has always really, really appealed to me. 
Um, and it's kind of like an adjacent, you know, it's the future foundation. So it's like an, it's fantastic for adjacent, um, and is really fun. And like Mike Allred, anything he draws, I'll just. Yeah. Anything. I will literally pick it up. Also, I will just finally say adjacent stuff, any Silver Surfer comic, but especially like the Ron Lim Silver Surfer stuff from the nineties is really, really great. And Silver Surfer is very fantastic for adjacent, but not necessarily like really into the FF. That's kind of how I got into Marvel. The Marvel's first family was really more through that Marvel cosmic era. So I think that's yeah. a great tip, Jason. You can find your ways in that aren't necessarily just the core four. And the John Byrne run, you know, if you want to go back maybe and do something that's like, maybe it feels like less, uh, I'll do this sometimes where I'll just like, I'll pick an arc from the Silver Age or from mm-hmm. something like that or from the 80s or 70s because there's just like less to keep track of. Um, you know, yeah. there was just like less continuity back then. Uh, and so the John Byrne stuff is a good entry point. And there's a lot of fun changes, you know, like She-Hulk joins the team. There's a lot of like fun stuff during his yeah. that, that is that is worthwhile. Oh, it's the DCU. It's time for the DCU. We're moving. Yeah. We're moving universes. I, I really love that this is the singular. Camilla asks the singular question about the DCU. And I think right now with the state of the DCU, I think that's fair. And I think that's good. Yeah. And she asks the kind of question that we absolutely love to theorize about, please no studios steal our ideas again, WGA is on strike. Camilla asks, thinking about James Gunn's statement regarding a potential Marvel DC crossover in a future, the crowd goes mad. What would be your dream crossover in case this could ever potentially happen? Do you have a pitch? Do you have an in-the-pocket pitch that you keep there waiting in case James Gunn and Kevin Feige ever give you the call? Well... (laughs) <laughs> it's hard, right? Because there have been several crossovers. Right? Yes, it's in the comics, there is an established it's precedent of this happening. It's and the stories are always like not great, but it's, it's fun. A, they're cash, they're fun, and, they're, and you see they're, them. Cash grab. And they're, listen, they're your the biggest would, teams. Yeah, and the, the movies would be a cash grab too. I think you would have to just like the heroes are mm-hmm. ostensibly teaming up because, like. Of course, they'd fight a little bit, but that's like not that fun. Because, you call like, nobody... it Avengers versus Justice League, but the fight yeah. isn't really between them. Yeah, because nobody can really win. Like, you, it, uh-huh. it's just you can't actually have anybody win. No. So I think the thing to do is you have the villains team up too. Ooh, I like you that. You know, so it's like <laughs> it's like Thanos and Darkseid. Yes, and, exactly, exactly. You know, together, it's especially fun if you do it with characters that are like that right, rip off of each other. The Doom Patrol and the X-Men. You're like, which one was real? I need this. This is so meta. So you get the villain. I think you make it a villain team up. That's really cool. that, that That is the motivating factor for the heroes teaming up. Mm. That's what I would pitch. I, I would make it villain centric. I'd start with the villains and then work to the heroes because again, I think it makes a lot the of heroes, sense. Yeah, that's that's how I would do it. Uh, and it would be like something like, you know, I guess it would have to be like the destruction of some entire universe. Something it would have to the stakes would have to you have to huge. figure it out because it is really in the comics. It is such a cash grab. But yeah, I loved it. I mean, yeah, me like, too. I, I mean, come on. Like, and you sometimes get brilliant artists like George Perez working on yeah. these things. You know, so mine. This is and and this here is why I will likely never work in these industries in any serious way because if I did actually get asked to pitch on this, 
I would absolutely go there and be like, let's do a uh, Swamp Thing and Marvel's Giant Size Man Thing crossover. And everyone would be like, nobody wants that. And I would be like, but I want it. I think you could do something really (laughs) cool with the weird... I think you sum up the biggest problem. You can't really have Captain America and Superman fight each other. One, it opens up up way too many questions. Superman is a god. The mythology aspects of the DC heroes ostensibly make them way more overpowered than any of the Marvel heroes, no matter even if you have an Omega-level mutant. It it becomes very messy very quickly, and I think that you would really need to have a long-term, like two-year-long story arc to cut that kind of chop that all up so i think the weird stuff is going to be the best stuff i love your villain call i think that would be great i'd love to see like the joker and magneto and how those two would interact that would be fucking crazy right like that would would, be cool i think that's the kind of stuff so i think for me it would be like i would love to see dc's occult characters like Swamp Thing and John Constantine teaming up with like the Marvel cosmic characters because the reality is Marvel doesn't have as deep tradition of occult storytelling in like who are you going to do Dr. Druid like nobody even knows who that is apart from me like so yeah I would be going for the weird shit I want to see Swamp Thing and Man Thing team up I also still blows my mind that Marvel did like a big contemporary Man Thing in an official yeah. way bef- before DC did it. So cheeky. I love the DC Swamp Thing show. Everybody knows it. But yeah, that would be mine. I- I'd go for the weird stuff because I think you're right. To really make it hit, you have to go deep cut. You have to bring together characters that complement each other, that have this kind of meta text, Darkseid and Thanos. That's so much fun. These kind of Jim Stalin. Yeah, it's, it's so much. It would just, there's so much fun to be had with it. And I think that while we know that when we do get it, it will be Justice League versus the Avengers, I'd love a world where that wasn't the first one. Uh, now, I-, I said that no one can really win. They do kind of win. But like, you know, when Namor fought Aquaman. I think Aquaman won. Like there were winners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like, but but it was also it felt very no stakes. Like you win one, then do I win one? Exactly. You win one, then I win one, then you win. And there was really no kind of there's no juice to it. So you want them to fight like a really good collection of villains. And Mm -hmm. honestly, like as you said, the DC and Marvel villains teaming up—that's the thing that we don't really. That's kind of never been done, you know? It like, would be so th- that much would be fun. Really cool. Especially if you did it as if you had it more of like a phase of the movies. So you could really team up weird characters together who worked really well together and kind of really get to explore what makes them tick and how somebody like Lex Luthor who fights against Superman differs from, you know, someone in the Marvel universe like Kingpin and how he goes against Daredevil. I would love to see those interactions. I mean, it's the dream sandbox, and I do think that's probably a large part of why DC was interested in James coming on, because he already has that established connection with Marvel. If these movies keep moving further away from the billion dollar mark, we could be seeing a Marvel-DC crossover sooner rather than later. I mean, it would be a cash bonanza. It would be the first $3 billion movie if they did it right. Let's be real. Like, that shit would be in cinemas longer than Avatar. Oh, my God. James Cameron's JLA versus versus the uh, Avengers. What a time. 
A asks, I can sometimes be burnt out from surfing the waves of the big IP content ocean. Oh, can't we all? Yes. Would love to hear what we think are some of the best standalone original stories, genre films and shows that may have gotten lost in all this plethora in the last few years and need a little bit more appreciation. I mentioned this book before on a previous pod, but I loved um, Christopher Buhlman's The Black Ton Thief. Oh, man. Um, Our Discord uh, went crazy for it. It's so good after you recommended it. It's so so good. Good. Um, And, you know, the world building's fantastic. It's just the right level of world building where Mm -hmm. it informs and enriches the story. And the story itself is heartbreaking and adventurous and swashbuckling and really great. And it concerns um, a thief who is uh, working off a debt to the Thieves Guild. Um, The Thieves Guild is a uh, one of the very, very powerful kind of organizations in this world along with the uh, Magicians Guild um, and in fact might be more powerful than many uh, kings and rulers in this world suspect. Um, And so this thief is, because of the debt that he has to work off, is um, given a mission that takes all kinds of twists and turns. And this all takes place against the backdrop of um, several devastating wars uh, against uh, against these like orc-like beings um, that have essentially devastated various kingdoms in the mm-hmm. world. Uh, and it's just really, really good. It's really, really fun, really, really well written. Um, I started reading his other story, Between Two Fires, which is more of like a medieval kind of like mm-hmm. true crime um, story. Um, but that's the one that immediately jumps to mind. Oh, uh, and if you're if we're talking about like TV shows and stuff, um, the peripheral, uh, mm. which was on Amazon Prime, is was super under talked about, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, For all mankind is a oh, great great show wow. on Apple TV Plus that is like, you know, explores a world in which the um, the Soviets get to the moon before the U.S. and all the twists and turns that takes. You know, like the the essential like the logline is basically like how does Starfleet start? Right, that's uh-huh, like what, uh-huh. what, the, what the show is about, and it's really great. Um, those would be the ones that that immediately come to mind. What about what about you? There is so one of my favorite movies from the last few years is this really incredible Canadian zombie movie called Blood Quantum by Indigenous director called Jeff Barnaby, who sadly passed away this year. I was super bummed out because he's a really great guy and just an incredible filmmaker. But it is set on a reservation, and the essential short pitch is like, what if? this native community was immune and everybody outside was not. And it is brutal. It's bloody. It's incredible practical effects. It's super thoughtful. I think it's like one of the best horror movies of the last 10 years. It's so brilliant. I believe it's probably on Shudder. I think that was uh, where I saw it. I think it's from 2019. Just such a joy. Jeff had another really great movie too, um, which you can see called Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Those were the two movies he got to make. And Blood Quantum, I just think, is so great. And I think it will go down in history as, like, a really, really brilliant film. Yeah, it's so badass, and it's really cool, and it's short, and it's snappy, and it 
It's a great, gory horror movie, if that's what you love, but it has a lot of interesting shit to say, too, like all the best horror. Um, I loved, if we're talking about TV, I loved Poker Face, um, obviously oh, very much in the tradition of Columbo and those kind of, you know, the fugitive, those kind of story of the week shows, but I thought it was really exciting and interesting. They brought in great guest cast. Every episode is super fun. Natasha Leone is great in the main role, just a really fun watch it didn't necessarily hit in the same I, i'm a in case you didn't know i really love a certain kind of storytelling that kind of has a radical imagination outside of the police and even something like colombo which it was so deeply inspired by has its own strange moral compass about mm. the wealthy and who Columbo goes after. And it's very interesting to kind of pick into. I didn't feel like Poker Face necessarily had that, but it did have a ton of really badass cast, an incredible set of murder mysteries. Ryan Johnson and Natasha were behind it. And obviously Ryan's like killing it with Glass Onion, which I loved and all those kind of murder mystery things that he has done before, like Brick. So it's just really fun. Just some of the best made TV that I think has come out in the last year. So both of those very high on my list, totally different vibes, but just really enjoyable. A um, couple more genre things, you know, as I read a lot. So Patrick Hoffman is one of my favorite uh, uh, crime authors to emerge mm. in recent years. His third novel, Clean Hands, is out. And it is, if you liked Michael Clayton, you will mm. like this novel that kind of delves into um, counterintelligence, but from a private angle, like corporate private intelligence, the lengths that um, corporate powers and the wealthy will go to protect their business dealings, um, what happens to spies when they are no longer working for the government, who do they mm. sell their who do they sell their skills to? And it's all, kind of um, tied up in this very, very sleek, very, very brutal um, crime suspense narrative that is uh, really fun. I love I love his style of writing. It's fantastic. Not necessarily a genre book, but definitely part of the theme of like wealth and mm. um, the way that the perspective of powerful men kind of dominates the public conversation uh, is a book called Trust by Hernan Diaz. It's th it's three books in one kind of. It begins with a book that is a book within a book. Uh, it's this purported to be uh, this biography of a, a rich um, industrialist capitalist guy, right? Then comes uh, the second part of the book, so that's like the first 100 pages. The second part of the book is the autobiography of the actual capitalist, industrialist, mm. who says, this book that this other person put out about me, I hate that fucking book. I'm here <laughs> to set the record straight. And so like the second part is this industrialist like setting the record straight. And then the third part of it is... From the perspective of the writer, the industrialist hired to ghostwrite his story is all the truth of it, all the things that got hidden away, the relationship that this capitalist had with his wife that is mm. definitely not what was presented to the to the to the public. Um, and it, it just kind of like unveils itself very, very 
steadily and with gathering power. Uh, and is a book that I've like not really been able to get out of uh, out of my head since reading it. Really, really, really. And it cool just won the Pulitzer Prize. Did it just win the Pulitzer? And, yeah. and it just so. Listen, if you're Great a Pulitzer taste. head, if you're a Pulitzer head, <laughs> as a I completionist. Am, <laughs> then uh, then uh, then you will like this book. Uh, this was recommended to me by uh, Greta Johnson, who I uh, co-host the House of the Dragon podcast with, and it's really, really. Just fucking great. Knocked me out. It's just a book that really, really, really knocked me out. Andrew asks, you're playing each other in a three versus three basketball game. The winner gets a Greek island with their brother-in-law. What succession characters are you picking as your other two teammates? We know they'll play dirty or Marvel characters if you think that'd be more entertaining. No, let's go with succession. Yeah. Uh, um, do you want to do a draft? Do you want to start first? Like you draft, you okay. pick a player, and then I'll pick a player. You yeah, go yeah, first. yeah. I, my first player... He's tall. He's dangerous. I knew, I knew it's he's, Madison. He's, he's, absolutely. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, you're going, oh, no, well, I'm switching it up. I'm switching it no, out. I'm taking Madison. Pick. He is, what is he, 6'3 in real life? 6'4? Yeah. He's got a nice up. collection of uh, baseball, basketball trainers. <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård height. 6'4. Absolute, like, so real uh, NBA height. Mm-hmm. That's a great pick. I. Okay, so with the first pick in the uh, succession draft, I am going to pick Greg the Egg. Oh! Who is uh, uh, played by Nicholas Braun, who is, I believe, like 6'7". Yes, he's very, very, very tall. So we got the tall guys off, off the board. Now, I will say... I Skarsgård, though he's given up like three inches, if they're going to play in the pivot, these guys are going to be guarding each other. Skarsgård is obviously much beefier, much he's stronger. Beefy. <laughs> Just he's beefy. He's very much, beefy. A much stronger individual than the kind of willowy Nicholas Braun who just kind of gets <laughs> thrown around like a like a stalk of wheat. No, Nicholas Braun <laughs> is a good pick, though, because, well, Greg is a good pick, I should say, because Greg's just going to do whatever you tell him. Yeah, it's like Greg, go set that pick. Okay, okay. I, I don't really, yeah. I, I don't really want to set the pick, but but okay. And you just be like, <laughs> Greg, fucking go set the pick, and he just <laughs> he would have to do it. I mean, that's true of almost any of these characters. They're all like, with the exception of, I guess, the Roys in mm-hmm. general. Like all the non-Roys are very obsequious. Yeah, Tom even is, Tom. E- even Matson to a point because Shiv has been kind of puppet mastering him. Yes throughout so i think you're right the roys are the only ones kind of stubborn enough okay lucas Matson and uh nicholas braun are off the board your next pick oh man um my next pick would be my next pick would be roman roy <laughs> <laughs> he is incredibly sneaky he knows how yeah. to rat fuck and you know what every so often a short person a that's short, a you know what? That's a foul. Also, a short that's king foul. comes into that's the foul. game every so often and changes yeah. it up. Maybe it's going to be Roman Roy. <laughs> also <laughs> involved, like in the sports space, already a sports team owner, so he See? understands the he understands the game. Of, you know, he yeah. knows what it's like to be a working man. <laughs> yeah, he understands <laughs> professional sports and the culture therein. Okay, for my next pick, I'm going to go brother for brother. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Ken. Because oh. Ken has the shoes. Okay, Ken this does guy, have the shoes. Ken, he does. 
Matson's Ken, trying to have the shoes, but Ken has the shoes. Ken has all manner of like uh, of um, bespoke like s- sneaker drops. This guy <laughs> has so many sneakers. I remember that. I'll never. Was it season one where he like goes to meet the women who created the app and then he throws his sneakers like out the window? Oh or something? my god, <laughs> the sneakers! Oh. I hate um, Kendall so So I'm going to go Ken. And now I'm going to go Ken because I feel like I need a guy who is not afraid to shoot. And Ken mm-hmm. will take the shot. He will he take will the shot. He will miss a lot. It would he also he will shoot. He will shoot. And it would also psych me out because I hate him. So it would work <laughs> on that level. It would work. I would not be at, I would not be at top basketball form as I usually am. If I also Kendall think if you, on the field. I also think if you Mike, Ken, and Roman and just have them like Oof. their trash talk as they're going back and forth it would be so good. That would be ten out of ten, like biggest hit on broadcast TV if you just played that. I mean you could turn it into Your a broadcast. second pick in the succession NBA draft. Man, this is so tough. You know what? He would be pretty useless, but I'm going back to picking based solely on height. I'm going for Tom. He'd kind of do whatever we wanted. He's on the bench. Like, could he come in and do something at the end? Probably not. But he would just... Tom is a survivor. He sticks it out no matter what. He is a striver, as Shiv so insultingly called him. I don't see that as an insult in this case. I'd I'd go for Tom. Tom, Matson, and Roman. It's horrible. I would love to see it. For my third pick, I am... Picking the Lady Caroline Collingwood. Oh, of the course. Mother, the mother of Kendall, Roman, and Shiv. Because I need someone fucking mean in there. <laughs> you need someone who's going to tell their daughter, you should I, not be a mother. Yeah, I need someone just fucking vicious and mean to do like the dirty that. work. Ken's not going to want to get his hands dirty, you know. Uh, Greg is soft. Let's just be Greg's real soft. about He's it. Soft. Like Matson will be absolutely killing this guy on the inside. He's you know Gr- Greg's got more of a of a you know a silky kind of like smooth game. <laughs> I need somebody who's just going to be throwing daggers. And so I'm going to go with the lady Caroline Collingwood. She's also independently like she doesn't need. None of them need the money, but she doesn't need any of this in general. How, how often so, do you think she would foul out? I think she'd foul. <laughs> it'd be, you know, I don't know that we would really have to have significant leverage over her to get her to play. I think we'd mm-hmm. have to probably hold out her like her stakes in the family trust that were uh, given over to her uh, as kind of like an addendum to the original divorce settlement at the end of, I think it was season three by by Logan. But it, I just think she's an X factor. And I think that she will really fuck with Roman. Yes. I think it would fuck with Roman's head. I to like have. that. Not, and furthermore, I think if you could somehow like get her to cook food for the other team, for your mm-hmm. team, I think that would even be... Wow, that's more bleak. devastating I love it. because as we as we saw with the fucking absolutely lethally caustic 
uh, England scenes from what was it, season two or three, <sighs> where you first meet her, she's like cooking the crazy like quail eggs and but like bad. It's just the craziest <laughs> stuff. Um, so I'm that's my pick, uh, Lady Caroline Collingwood. Your next pick. My pick is going to be Carl because nobody <laughs> wants that island more than Carl. So oh, he's going to do he want he's going to do whatever he can to get the island with the brother-in-law. Like he doesn't know I'm keeping the island, but I'm going to tell him he's got a chance and he's going to do anything it takes. He will be coming out People are going to be going crazy. They won't believe it. It's going to be like Lonnie Walker in the fourth quarter. Like people are going to be like, whoa, Carl, he, he really wants to be remembered. This is the Carl game. This is the game where Carl got the island. Okay, so uh, so we've picked three. So it's us. It's basically us and like uh, three others. And one of those will be a bench player. Should we pick a coach? <laughs> oh, my God, please pick a coach. <laughs> okay, I will pick a coach. My coach... I am going to pick Gil Evis. Whoa. Politician Gil Evis, succession version of Bernie Sanders, Gil Evis. Because I think you need somebody in government with that gravitas mm. to be able to, like, reach, you know, you'd, you'd need the regulatory threat to get Ken to play the right way and do the right things. Um, same thing with Greg, who... You know, who could forget how shaken Greg was when testifying before the <laughs> Senate Select Committee when he's just like, if it must be said, then it is. I think he also says, no woman, no cries here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Greg. And so I think that, that's the person that would have that kind of like authority to really command my my team other than Lady, Lady Caroline Collingwood, who's English and wouldn't yeah. hear shit. But I think the rest of them would listen. Who would uh, be your coach? Mine would be Jerry. That's a great that's I mean, great. one, because she's one of the few competent people in the entire show. Two, because Roman is on my team. So if I want anything yeah. to get done, Jerry will be there. And three, because Jerry is about to come into an immense amount of eye-wateringly large financial security. So she's going to have the time. To commit herself to the team. I like it. I think that's great. Jess asks, with Tears of the Kingdom coming out on May 12th, the day that you may be listening to this podcast, yes. what is your favorite installment of the Zelda series or just favorite Nintendo game of all time? Oh, wow. Um, it, it is Breath of the Wild. Same. And also Majora's Mask. Mm -hmm. um, those two, but Breath of the Wild by far because of the sense of adventure and exploration and how just the feeling I first had like logging into the world and seeing how big it was and mm -hmm. how little direction you're given. It's just walk in a direction. Um, and very few games have given me that feeling of satisfaction just from walking around, just from exploring. Mm -hmm. Elden Ring kind of I did that recently, but Breath of the Wild for the, the adventure, the storytelling, mm -hmm. the sheer amount of content in the game. You uh, like it's just the way it looks, um, the characters that you meet, the music, mm -hmm. like everything about it to me is fucking perfect. And that kind of cell shading. Oh, so art beautiful. style is. It looks so like you're watching an animated movie. 
it's so beautiful to me. I just think it is. I think it's amazing. It's probably my favorite Nintendo game of all time, along with, you know, I mean, this is somewhat cheating, but the Mario Kart series mm-hmm. and also the uh, and also the Metroid series. And also the Castlevania series. <laughs> but, <laughs> Nintendo, so many good yeah. games. I mean, blow your mind. There's so many. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Yes. So I would say I'm the same. Definitely, like, when I was a kid, I kind of struggled. Zelda and Pokemon both were quite hard for my brain to understand in that old school visuals and the, and the layout of the game. But the Majora's Mask 3DS remake was yeah. up there for me for a very long time as the best Zelda game and also one of my favorite games but breath of the wild is definitely my favorite i love the freewheeling nature of it i love the way that you feel that you're living in the world i love cooking i always talk about this but breath of the wild like finishing it is nearly impossible for me because i just spent all my time cooking and riding my horse like i love that shit i love how you can just fight things and shoot things and do all kinds of fun monster hunting i absolutely love breath of the wild i think it's the best zelda game I can't wait to play the new one, but I just don't see a world where it tops it. My other favorite Nintendo games, definitely I love Mario Kart. I, I play Mario Kart probably more than any other video game. It's great. Animal, it's a perfect Animal Crossing game. as well for me. Uh, Animal like, Crossing, also a perfect game. Yeah, it's so good. Both New Leaf and New Horizons I adored. Most influential game on a Nintendo for me was probably Donkey Kong Country. I had a second-hand oh, wow. Super Nintendo when I was a kid. And I played Donkey Kong Country, like, so much. I can play that game probably blindfolded all the way through. The same with uh, with Crash Bandicoot from the PlayStation, the well, original honestly, Crash Bandicoot. You know, if we're talking, like, the most addicted I've ever felt about a game mm-hmm. on Nintendo, then it's probably... Uh, GoldenEye on the Nintendo 64. Oh my gosh, that game is I, so, so sick. I did not have a console during the time that I just didn't have access to video games at that particular time. And I've told this story before, but like I legitimately had a friend that I did not care for personally <laughs> who I who I had a relationship with simply because he had Nintendo 64 and GoldenEye <laughs> and I wanted to play GoldenEye. That was the only, like, I didn't like this guy, but I pretended you liked to, GoldenEye. that I liked him because I needed to play GoldenEye. And so that's the furthest I've ever, like, I just, even to this day, like the, the, um, the music when you boot mm-hmm. that game up, it's, yeah. it has a Pavlovian effect. Like the, the goosebumps go up on my, on my arm, like running around the facility level mm-hmm. in the vents, like shooting the guy in the stall, like all of this stuff, playing a short round in multi in split screen multiplayer, getting in arguments with friends because like you're looking at my screen. <laughs> like all of that stuff is like w- was just so, so, so fun. And I yeah. think not one of my favorite games, but when it was current, probably the most as as into a game as I've ever been, mm-hmm. Goldeneye. I was so into it, probably because I just couldn't play it whenever I wanted to. Yeah, and if you if you have a Switch Online account, they actually recently did the N sixty four edition, yeah. so you can play Goldeneye. And also, they have the snares and the nares. And I play Donkey Kong Country on there a lot still. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for your questions. We're sorry we couldn't get to them all, but we'll try to answer them in some other format, maybe on the Discord or somewhere else. Um, up next, Nerd Out. Mini spoiler warning. Spoiler, spoiler, but like a mini-sized one, like a Gulliver's Travel-sized one. This Nerd Out contains spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory that you're excited to share, Evan does the latter, sharing a theory on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Evan writes, Hey Rosie and Jason, I was thinking about the stinger at the end of Guardians 3 and how it states that Star-Lord will return, but does not necessarily mean that it is Peter. Do you guys think it's possible or likely the studio can introduce a new Guardians team with another character taking up the mantle of Star-Lord? Of course, it makes me think of one of my favorite Guardians rosters when Kate Pride was leading the team as Star-Lord. Yes. Be so can be Captain Missouri or something. Uh, would love to know what you guys think. All the best, Evan. Uh, I think that that's likely, actually. I felt like that, too. Like, the further away I got from the stinger, the more I felt like this idea of the legendary Star-Lord would return makes it feel like it's more of a mantle because you could say yeah. Peter Quill would return if you're going to say that. I would, you know, we're X-Men fans here. Kate Pride fans. She's had a lot of great story arcs in recent years. I would love to see that. I believe they have already peaked with T'Challa Star-Lord, who sadly, you know, we won't be able to get in live action. But I think the idea of a different Star-Lord could be really, really cool. I think that would be, I think that would be super cool. And, and you know, as you mentioned, there have been a lot of Terran characters to go into mm -hmm. space and run with the Guardians. Certainly in recent years, Tony Stark had a notable run up there, Cape Pride. Um, I do. I think it's going to be someone else that's going to be. I think it's going to be someone else that takes up the the mantle of Star Wars. I think that that's probably right. Do you have a favorite like pick that you would pick out of the of MCU characters who were here in right the MCU? Now? Not not like based on the comics or like just if if you were going to pick a character, who would you want to see take on that mantle? Who are doing it right now? At, what about? I think Bucky would be good. Ooh, be good uh, that would be so interesting. You'd, you'd have some fun with the arm. They've both been through. They've had. They have similar histories, right? Yeah. Um, and I think they could bond over that. That said, is it time for a human? Maybe to, I, this is also doesn't mean that if you are Star Lord, you're leading the team. I think it is Rocket's team. I think it's Rocket's team. I think Star Lord right? may be more of a a rogue space hero kind of on their own missions who checks in with the the guardians rather than you know and also we didn't see uh peter's helmet in in the new movie so somebody could find that in on nowhere you know in his desk yeah. drawer where i believe james gunn said it was placed so i think yeah i think we could really see some cool stuff being I think done that, there um my second, my backup pick would be uh, the symbiote. I think the symbiote also has been into space. Love with that. Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think uh, is in world. And it would be fun to watch the symbiote like explore their cosmic history. Where does where do I come from? What, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, that would be a fun adventure. Ten out of ten would watch your picks. Uh, my picks currently, this is kind, 
is kind of a cheat because they're not in the MCU, but I feel like they're so close to being into it. I would love to see like a Beta Ray Bill Star-Lord. You know, like a a cool alien cosmic Star-Lord. I think that realistically it feels like we'd be seeing a character that we already are very established within that space. A Valkyrie Star-Lord could be cool. Mm. I would like to see that. You know, she's kind of tired of the bureaucratic nature of it all, so she takes that Star-Lord. Nebula, actually, I think, if I was doing an odds-on bet, so I think I could see a world where Nebula takes on that mantle and really gets a hero arc. That would be very cool to see, especially with her rad new arm. Yeah, I, I, I would love... Oh, this this question, Evan, has made me very happy. I, I would love <laughs> to dream of a world where it is no longer Peter Quill. And he stays at home with his granddad and does the lawn mowing or whatever else. And we get to see other characters take on that mantle. I think that would be so cool. Thanks, Evan. If you have theories or passions you want to share, hit us up at x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions in the show notes. Well, that's it for us. Rosie, any plugs? You can find me... Rosie Marks at Letterboxd and Instagram. My Instagram stories are all about WGA Strike. You support those writers. None of the stuff we talk about exists without them. Jason is in the WGA, so support him. You can support them through the Entertainment Community Fund. You can support them by showing up to pick it. You can send food, donuts, pizza, all kinds of cool stuff like that. And yeah, here twice a week. I'm also going to plug the WGA strike uh, because of the strike that we're on. Uh, Writers, members of the WGA, like myself, uh, aren't promoting any of the projects that they have. So if Mm -hmm. you're wondering why I'm not promoting any of the projects uh, that uh, I have coming up, it's because of this. And it's an important – everybody right now who is on strike is sacrificing something. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not the people that – uh, we're associated with Primo, the show we wrote on, uh, Shea Serrano, the creator. It's based on his life. We're not promoting it, not going to the premiere. We would love to be able to say, hey, watch this thing at a date that I'm not going to mention. But we're not doing that because it's important that everybody knows that we're all in this. There are writers who are who just got their first gigs and now we went on strike and, and they are hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way up the chain, everybody is giving up something um and so just support the writers who are really getting support them uh, who are getting a tough deal getting squeezed in this economy as many of us are even as ceo pay skyrockets um you know you can uh david zaslav made 280 some odd million dollars uh, and his first moves, creative moves, were to shelve a bunch of projects and fire a bunch of people. Um, and for that, he was richly rewarded. Um, and I th- and you know many of the other CEOs are the same. All the writers are asking for is two percent of the profits as raised. They're not asking for some massive amount of money, just two percent, which comes out to less than you know the the CEO pay for eight of the major studios. So that's it. Support the writers. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision on Wednesday, May 17th for more Market Moves and Yellow Jackets. Subscribe on YouTube where you can watch full episodes of the show. Check out our Twitter at XRVPod. And make sure to join the Discord to meet and hang out with tons of amazing fans and listeners, plus me and Jason. 
Five star ratings, five star five, reviews. Five, we five, need five, them. Five. We gotta have them. You gotta give them to us. Here's one from Bear Grizzly. I'll take my answer off the air. I love, love, love both of you. I listen at work with my headphones and I'm always laughing out loud out of nowhere. People think I'm crazy, but I'm trying to get everyone to listen so they can all join the vision. Thank you so much for this wonderful pod. Thank you, Bear Grizzly. Thank you for this wonderful review. X-Ray Vision is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin and executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion. Our editing and sound design is by Priscilla's Photopolis. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajewski. Social media by Ewa Okalati and Caroline Dunford. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you next time. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.